Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to hang out in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me riding shotgun, as always, is Chuck Holmes. It's great to be back. It's great to be coming off of a Father's Day weekend, aka the one weekend a year when my voice is heard by my wife and or daughter, although usually not both. Positive vibes, though, Chuck. Positive vibes. Now, you and I golfed, talked some noise on Sunday. So we've been in touch, but how was the rest of your Father's Day weekend? You get any Ohio State socks or Buckeye beer glasses or anything? No, I did get a nap, though. Nobody <laughs> was home when I got Priceless. off the rounds. Well, after, after a couple of uh, a brews at the turn, I, I was ready for a, a solid hour of nobody bothering me, and I got that. So it was a winning Sunday. Yeah, same here. I think uh, had the golf, like the U.S. Open, been on a little bit earlier and we got to see the guys who were like way back, probably would have made for an even better Sunday. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, for this week's pod, as most of you guys know or should know, each week Land Grant is focusing content on a particular theme. Last week was this or that, and this week is burning questions. You know, since... We've revamped or kickstarted the Hangout Pod recently. It feels like Chuck and I have dabbled in quite a few burning questions, but I would say that we probably have gravitated toward like hypothetical, right? Just stuff that Chuck and I have thrown out there based on another theme. But this week, to really embrace the theme, Chuck and I wanted to you know cover, debate, discuss, possibly even answer some real sort of consistently asked questions. That's where we're getting the burning questions from. These are, you know, issues or questions that are consistently on the minds of Ohio State fans and things like that. So hopefully we're not going to beat anything into the ground too much. Uh, At the very least, I think that we'll have some unique perspective because frankly, they're they're ours and I happen to find us unique. Chuck, would you agree? Well, I'm unique. I don't. I don't know about you. Okay, fair enough. Good start to the pod. Chuck's energy um, towards me, typically negative. So, uh, look before we dig into the fun stuff. Just a little bit of news that has come out since our last pod. So, 
last Monday, I think this happened like right after we recorded last week's episode, Ohio State football landed a verbal commitment from four-star safety Jalen McLean out of New Jersey. Recruited by Perry Eliano, he is currently the 22nd-ranked safety in the 2024 class, number 243 overall. McLean had a ton of offers, and I, I have read at least that he is or has been a fast riser with potential to move up in the rankings even further. Beyond that, uh, more importantly, he is known he is what is known as Chuck a defender. Okay. Ohio State has seemingly not landed one of these guys since the Trump administration, okay? <laughs> he joins linebackers Garrett Stover and Peyton Pierce as 2024 commits on that side of the ball. Look, Chuck, McLean is a small piece of the puzzle here, not a five-star, at least yet. But how important is it that Ohio State is continuing to add defenders specifically in this 2024 class? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad my safety doesn't <laughs> – my safeties on my roster don't like to score touchdowns. Uh, I Yeah. You always want depth, right? And competition. And I, I think it's a, it's a good pickup, right? There's nothing crazy about it, but I think it's a good pickup. He's going to pick up 25 spots in the rankings just by simply being an Ohio state commit. I mean, that's how it works. Right. So I think it's good. Bring them in. Like get get all these guys. Let's let's get some competition. Let's get the talent level improved, and let's let's see who who shakes out and, and can play ball. Yeah, I I would be lying if I said that I wasn't the least bit concerned about the lack of depth in their 2024 class as far as defenders go specifically. But I think that we also have to modify our own expectations as far as numbers, timelines, things like that in the new NIL world and all these, uh, you know, these benefits, if that's what you want to call it, being extended and guys sort of extending their own recruitment process a little bit longer. I I don't want to overreact, but it it had been a while for sure since Ohio State landed a defensive commitment. I think they've got three good ones in the class. And as part of bringing this up, I also wanted to touch on this past weekend's recruiting. It sounds like the weekend went very, very well. Uh, Ohio State had 10 plus, like 10 sort of like super recruits. They may have had some additional guys in. I don't know the exact number, but, you know, I was reading that most of the guys who visited this past weekend, you know, may have been leans elsewhere or insiders were not exactly how sure Ohio State, how high on these guys' list Ohio State really was. But, it sounds like the weekend went very, very well. There have been whispers of a crystal ball for this guy, that guy. This extends to the last couple of weekends, really. It sounds like Ohio State recruiting is, I don't know, air quotes back. But if you really listen and you really look at who, look at the guys who have been in Columbus these past few weekends, a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball. So hopefully Jalen McLean's commitment is just sort of a drop in the bucket and kickstarts momentum for the next couple weeks, the next couple months, whatever it is, for Ohio State to hopefully land uh, a handful, half a dozen, even 10 guys on the defensive side of the ball. If they didn't come out of these weekends uh, hearing that it went really well, that would be catastrophic because these are kids that are super impressionable. So if they didn't come here and weren't super impressed with what 
was going on at Ohio State, that would be an awful, awful precursor to what wasn't going to happen. Now, every one of them, just because they love being here doesn't mean they're going to automatically commit, right? But I, I think it being a quote-unquote great weekend is really just holding serve because they're giving them the experience that we hope that they would give them and hope that the the recruits would see the value of, of coming to Ohio State. So that, that, that box is checked. Now they've got to convince them to come. But if they couldn't convince that while they were on campus, like there's like a totally different problem for everybody involved in the recruiting process. Yeah, that's very fair. I like the term holding serve because combining your point with my previous point, like nothing is final today in today's recruiting until these guys put pen to paper and really give a hard commitment Hell, even enroll at this point, right? There was the kid at, uh, I, I think, Florida or whatever. They, you know, gave his commitment, signed his letter of intent, and then was like, hey, I'm out. I want to go elsewhere. So it, it, nothing is finalized until seemingly like the guy is on campus. But, yeah, it seems like everything is trending in the right direction for Ohio State, whether they land, like I said, 5, 10, 15 guys, whatever, it depends. I don't know what the size of the class is going to be. But whereas I was concerned a month or two ago, I'm in a better spot than you've also got the offensive commitments on top of that. So everything good there. You know, good night, good luck, good rims. Moving on. Uh, one other topic that I wanted to discuss quickly before we jump into some burning questions. So Phil Steele put out his preseason All-American team late last week. Chuck, six Buckeyes were named to one of the three teams, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Tommy Eichenberg are your first teamers. Emeka Buka, Donovan Jackson, and JT Tuiwilowow were paid to second teamers. And Travion Henderson was the lone third teamer. I'll just put a – I'll ask you pretty straightforward or simply here, Chuck. Any surprises between those kind of six guys and the three teams? No, unfortunately not. You know, you would hope that they, they are some respect out there for some players that haven't done anything, but you don't blame them for not giving anything to somebody that hasn't performed yet. Uh, it, it's the same guys. And, and I think Phil Steele does a, a, a really good job of kind of earmarking the kids that have performed previously. He's not a big go out and get the – oh, this guy only played 12 snaps last year, but he's coming in and he's going to be the next uh, defensive tackle specimen that that is an All-American. Like, that's not really his style. He goes and he talks to all these teams, but he also leans on history. And the history states these are really the only guys for Ohio State that probably should be justifiably on this list. I'm glad you brought that up because it's naturally going to lead me into the one name that I found sort of interesting. But I won't call it a surprise. Travion Henderson being listed as a third-team preseason All-American, look, I have no idea if he's going to play well in 2023, let alone 12, 13, 14 games. But I feel like people are sort of forgetting that Henderson was just flat-out awesome in 2021. And this goes to your point. He is, or was, one of the most electric athletes you're going to find at the running back position, right? He 
<clears throat> but he is likely to split carries in 2023. That being said, I think that that could work out to his benefit. And if Ohio State pounds the rock, then he could put up big numbers. So his name being included on this list, again, somewhat interesting, but not surprising to me because I think that, fingers crossed, Trayvon Henderson can and or will remind people just how special he is given health, good health. And that's where guys like Phil Steele don't like he, he, he doesn't miss. He, he does his homework. He sees what has happened. Like he, he's using his freshman year and really all you have to base him being third team on is, is I think he's going to be healthy this year. That's it. Nothing. You, you don't need any other facts. You could, the, the, the naysayers could say, well, Maya Williams is going to take carries. But if you say, I think Trevion Henderson's going to be uh, RB1 for Ohio State and he's going to play in 12 games this year, he's third team All American. Like he's going to be third team All American if you believe he's RB1 and there's a distinct RB1 versus RB2. It, it, it's an easy one. Luckily for him, and, and maybe it's not luck, maybe who, who cares in the grand scheme of things, but Phil Steele does that work and actually believes in the numbers combined with the program, combined with the pedigree that he is that that guy if he, he stays healthy. Yeah, and this is good pos- podcasting here. I'm going to bring up his stats while we're talking, but you look at what Travion Henderson has done in his two years at Ohio State, everyone's like, oh, you know, he was just so special that first year, and he stunk last year. Like, that's not the case. He was rarely healthy. It was a better offensive line last year, so it was somewhat surprising to see that, you know, that yards per carry and his production, his yards per carry, things like that drop. But even in 2021, you know, he was running behind a a four tackle offensive line in an offense that wanted to be pass heavy. Like Ryan Day doesn't want to lean on one guy or even multiple guys at running back. Like he wants to throw the ball all over the yard, but Trayvon Henderson was so damn good that, you know, they're like, look, we're, we're going to get this guy the ball. He had 183 carries in his freshman year compared to 107 last year. But even with some of the, you know, down numbers last year. This guy is at 6.3 yards per carry. So you give him 15 yards per carry. I'm not going to do the exact math, but he's approaching 100 yards per game. He's capable of breaking a couple long ones. Let's call it 100 yards rushing per game, maybe. You know, that's 1,200 total. That's what he had his freshman year. Maybe they get him more involved in the passing game, you know, with that new quarterback, whoever it is back there. I just – it's I'm like state secrets, right? I've seen too much to ignore. So I think that he will bounce back. And even if he splits carries, I think that that means what, Chuck, 15 carries per game. Maybe even if he's splitting, I think he still gets 15, possibly even 20. So if he can bounce back and put up some of those 2021 numbers, then he may not be, you know, an 1,800-yard back like Zeke was or a 2,000-yard rusher like J.K. Dobbins was, but I could see him getting 12, 13, 1,400 yards, fighting the end zone a number of times, and then if he gets involved in the pass game, then yes, I can see him eventually as a third-team All-American, 
even if he is sharing the spotlight. I think the only scenario that happens is if the quarterback falls on his face. Like, he's not going to share carries and still get 15 or 18 carries. Like, if the quarterback play is 90% of what Ryan Day wants it, they're going to fling it all around the field. Now, if the quarterbacks are struggling, then we've never seen Ryan Day have a quarterback that struggles, so we don't know. He might completely change his game plan, and, and maybe Brian Hartline has something to say about that. And And that's me – that's me prognosticating. Like, I've been in the Kyle McCord hive. I still am for as long as I can remember. But I just, until I see proof of concept, until I see the evidence, I just don't see the passing game being nearly as prolific or explosive. And so that's why I'm saying that he can, Trayvon Henderson, that is, can still see, you know, 15, 16, 17 carries per game. Mayan Williams, he's 12, 13, 14. I really do think Ohio State runs the ball more this year out of necessity. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to have to. They're just not going to be as good in the passing game. They're just not. So I I agree with you in that scenario. If they're running it more, the talent's there. He stays healthy. He plays behind a decent line. He's good enough. In in college, you don't have to have uh, five All-Americans. You need a couple good ones. You can scheme around that side of the line and you can just make it so that that they're the guys that are leading the way. It's much easier at the college level than the pro level. So I could see it happen. Along the same lines, I don't want to get into our designated burning questions, but if Travion Henderson is healthy 100% for the majority of the season, sort of regardless, and the, the quarterback play is almost up to stuff. It's still pretty good. Don't you think that Ohio State wants to or will almost be forced to get Mayan Williams and or Dallin Hayden and or Chip Train? I'm like, they have some dudes back there. Like, and you don't want a mass exodus, right? I'm not saying you want to, like, bend the knee to players at a certain position, but, like, don't you think Ohio State sort of goes out of its way to involve these guys because they're so deep there? Hell no. Tony Alford is back, <laughs> baby. His running back recruiting is back. We don't need to worry about these backups. If they want to leave, let them leave. He's got two on the books for 24. We got two. I, I, he might recruit four. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's it's a good problem to have, right? That's what Ohio State has is some depth, whereas they haven't always had it in years past. You know, when uh, before Mayan Williams became a thing and before Dallin Hayden became a thing and before Trip, Chip Trianum became a thing, like, Fans such as ourselves were like, what the hell are they going to do? And they just sort of figured it out. Now we know there is some talent back there. But uh, I don't know. Chuck, I think that's enough. We've got the housekeeping out of the way, right? And so I want to get into these burning questions. You have asked me many a question about burning, but different, you know, unrelated, different subject matter here. Are you ready to answer? My wife listens to this pod. Uh, she doesn't, but maybe maybe she does. She sends it to people that she knows. <laughs> Are you ready to answer some Ohio State football burning questions? I'm on fire over here, baby. All right, so I do. That was, that was, that was a really bad dad joke. Really bad. <laughs> I wanted to preface this by saying that we are going to focus almost exclusively on the defense here, just sort of worked out that way, and 
Chuck and I naturally try to like have a theme within the theme. So we focused on the defense here. Chuck, I'm just going to hit you with it. Actually, I'm going to ask you this question, and I want to go first. This is the only one that I was pretty passionate about. And the next two, you get the honor. But burning question number one, is it time for Ohio State to initiate the Larry Johnson succession or replacement process? So has he lost his fastball? Would it be in the best interest of both parties to move on? Like I said, I'm most passionate about this one, so I do want to go first. I'm sort of hedging here, but I would call 2023 a definitive pass or fail season for Larry Johnson and his whole defensive line. If the Buckeyes defensive line fails, then yes, I absolutely feel that a parting of ways would probably be best. I I don't have a, a sack number or anything in mind as far as pass fail, but I think you know what I mean here, right? Either Ohio State's defensive line plays very well and they impact every single game, or it's a failure. Last season was not a bad performance from them per se, but only vast improvement in 2023 would get a passing grade from me. You cannot have three down years in a row. Wasn't there a rumor, and I don't know that anybody ever confirmed this, when they were cleaning, or when Ryan Day was cleaning house on the defensive side of the ball, wasn't there a rumor that he offered Al Washington like the assisted defensive line job and he could have it when Larry Johnson retired? It was something like that. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. I did not remember that at all, but they wanted to keep Al Washington or they offered to keep Al Washington around in some capacity, but they didn't want him within a country mile of the linebacker. So yeah, by default, it probably had to have been defensive line assistant something like that. Cause Larry Johnson also has the the special title of associate head coach. So they probably could have done something there. Yeah. So that tells me that this conversation has happened. And I know every off season, Larry Johnson comes out and says, I got a, uh, uh, I'm not retiring anytime soon. And I, I plan on being here for a while and insert the, I got a lot left in the tank, Mark Henry gif, uh, as he slams John Cena, but <laughs> I'm with you. Like at not everybody gets to go out on their own terms. And this is a bottom line business. It's a business. These guys get paid a lot of money. And if his defensive line doesn't perform as a top defensive line in the country, then he should not be compensated as a top defensive line coach in the country. And we are now two straight or three straight seasons where his defensive line has been good and bad at times. And that's frankly just not good enough. So if this isn't the year that these guys break out and on top of it, if one or a couple of these five-star defensive linemen that were in the last couple weeks don't commit, that's also another silo of this right another column in his uh way of the way he's got to do things in order to continue in this role yeah no i mean i agree with all of that i I even think that 
you saying good and bad, you know what? It probably equals out, and we agreed that they've been fine the last couple of years because that's all they've been. You know, a 2020 shortened season, I sort of throw that one out the window, but 2021-2022, you know, I've talked about this. I've written about this. Ohio State's, like, leading sack guy the last two years was Haskell Garrett with five and a half in 2021. I mean, it's been bad production up front. They've been pretty good against the run, but then you see what they did or did not do against Michigan. They got ran all over, and you can blame that on linebackers. You can blame that on secondary, this, that, and the other. Um, the defensive line got pushed around pretty well, and so that was like the strength of their game, right, is they had good stats, at least, against these teams that really pounded the rock. You couldn't do that against Ohio State early on in the year, got later in the season, and you know, teams had success, but if the defensive line does play well and guys are being talked about as high draft picks, which has already started to happen with JT Tuimoloau and Jack Sawyer and others, then I do think that uh, Larry Johnson deserves to, I, I don't know, write his own ending, at least influence his own ending. And as far as recruiting goes, 2024 needs to be a strong class, right? But I'll also take umbrage with people complaining about that aspect of things. Because, look, Tweet Molo and Sawyer in 2021, those were huge gets. Both top, like what, top one and two defensive ends in the country. Yeah, but, uh, okay, you only get half credit for Jack Sawyer. He grew up nine minutes from campus, just like Zach Harrison. Like they almost didn't get Zach Harrison and, and Zach Harrison's development is another question, but Zach Harrison was from 15 minutes away from campus and it took till the very last second to get him to commit. Like we can't, if the five-star guys in Ohio aren't slam dunks, like that's a problem. And, and that's fair, but I will take it a step further. Look at that 2022 class. Kenyatta Jackson and Omari Abor, I think we're like number six and number seven, maybe even five and six at their position. And we haven't seen much from Abor yet. He was banged up quite a bit last year. But Kenyatta Jackson, if you were just taking 2023 spring games or using that as your sample size, like that he profiles as the next stunt. The last year was rough. But, you know, Larry Johnson and or Ohio State, both by proxy, they took a few big swings and missed. They did. Keon Keeley, guys like that, Damon Wilson down the stretch. It's like they were only shooting for that to a Moloow Sawyer sort of uh, pairing. And anything less than they were just going to kind of pick up the pieces, which they did. You know, Jason Moore looks like a good player. Joshua Minkins, I haven't seen much about athletic guy at the very least. But, yeah, 2023 was rough. However, Ohio State seems to be in a pretty good spot with a bunch of these 2024 guys. So he is landing players, or he has continued to land players because Tyleek Williams, Michael Jr., guys like that, Kate Curry, also pretty decent as far as recruiting rankings go. But they have to perform. And that's something we'll talk about later. Uh, it can't just be good kids with good attitudes and good high, high school pedigrees. Like, they need to put up some stats at Columbus, and I will wholeheartedly agree with you there. No argument. So do they bring back 
say he flames out, does like Vrabel come back as like a defensive line coach? Or do will, you think Fickle will? You think either of those are on the table? Because I guarantee there's somebody in a in some kind of forum somewhere, probably on the old Twitter.com, that's got that saved as a draft and they're ready to send it out. Yeah, I know. You and I both know that there's no chance in hell, but hopefully they've got maybe a succession plan in place or, uh, look, college football coaches don't just sit there and wait around, but maybe Ryan Day and or Gene Smith have some names in mind too. I'm not sure who it would be. Uh, I don't know if there are any defensive line ties, but there weren't when Larry Johnson came in. You know, Larry Johnson was the preeminent defensive line coach, essentially, at Penn State. Uh, Urban Meyer gets the job and sort of steals him. So, Ohio State well, should Penn State screwed up, remember. He wanted the head coaching job, remember. He was the... Tom Bradley got it instead of him. Yeah, he didn't get that when Paterno stepped down, and then he wanted to be considered for the job in the offseason. And they ended up hiring Bill O'Brien, and that's what made him leave. It was like a perfect storm of Rabel leaving his uh, the defensive line job to go to the Texans at the same time that Larry Johnson was disgruntled with Penn State after spending uh, like 712 years there. I think Larry Johnson's 800 years old. He spent 750 years at Penn State as a coach and a player. His son went there. He's one of the best running backs in Penn State history. And they said, eh, you're not good enough. For the record, I think Larry Johnson is 71. And he spent 18 years at Penn State. Uh, I'm sure he would not appreciate the shots. But, yeah, I mean, look, he's a little bit longer in the tooth. Well, hey, he looks really good for 800. (laughs) He really does. He's got a youthful exuberance and no i mean in all honesty players love the guy they talk about his energy they respect the hell out of him but at some point again if you struggle year after year or your unit does to perform then you know i think it's time to probably make that call or look elsewhere but um yeah that was a good one to sort of kick us off here we're going to jump into some more burning questions right after we take a quick break. Welcome back, everybody, to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley. With me, as always, is Chuck Holmes. We are smack dab in the middle of answering some burning questions here. We are embracing the Land Grant theme of the week sticking with defense. Chuck, let's just get right into it with burning question number two. And and I will let you go first here. I'll play uh, good co-host. When will Sonny Styles and or CJ Hicks take the next step? Or look at it like when will they at least begin to play a significant number of snaps or more so than they did last year? How do you want me to answer this? Do you want me to answer this in like what I think, like how I think it plays out? Is that what you're looking for here? Carte blanche, my man. Answer it however you damn well please. So I think, unfortunately, this is my uh, very unprofessional opinion. I think Ohio State wins a very close game against Notre Dame that is a shootout. And Sam Hartman 
really plays well. And I think after that week, shit starts to change. And I think there's a a shift in the mentality and a shift in the playing time dynamic when, if something like that were to happen early in the season. I don't, as much as I'm screaming from the top of the hills that I think these guys need to start fall camp at the top of the depth chart and get the reps that they need, I just don't, it's not going to happen. We all know it's not going to happen. But I think a struggle early in the year will send shockwaves through that defensive depth chart. And we sort of saw that last year with Josh Proctor. Like It seems like Jim Knowles has a pretty quick hook if you're not getting the job done or, you know, you mess something up, you fail to execute. <clears throat> and as for that game against Notre Dame, yeah, I can see that. Uh, you know, Sam Hartman can throw the ball all over the yard. I question whether or not Notre Dame's wide receivers are going to be up to snuff. But, yeah, it can definitely happen. And would it have the expected result that you spoke of? Yeah, maybe. Um you know, for me, I'll just kind of go one by one here. I think Sonny Styles has to be in the lineup early and often. You know, this guy is a freak in the best sense of the word. He saw the field last year, and he even, if I'm not mistaken, like he was in there during Georgia's first possession of the Peach Bowl. So that trust, that was building. That was coming to fruition for Ohio State and Sonny Styles last year. So, you know, he quasi-started the national championship semifinal or what ended up should have been the national championship game, right? TCU didn't stand a chance. But, sure, Ohio State has a ton of experience at safety. But, in my opinion, only late ransom should be guaranteed a starting role. You know, Josh Proctor got benched last year. Uh, I haven't been overly impressed with Cam Martinez. John Carter could definitely be a guy in Columbus – but we have not seen him on the field healthy, whereas, you know, Sonny Styles is like the Travis Kelsey of safeties. Hell, he's basically the same size as Travis Kelsey. He is such a, uh, not, like, mismatch and an advantage at, like, 6'4", 220, yet he is so fluid as an athlete that's why you deal with the, the peaks and valleys, the ups and downs while you can, but get him on the field somewhere early to let him work those kinks out and then hopefully develop into a star second half of the season. Yeah, and if everybody that is currently at the top of the depth chart has already had those peaks and valleys and they don't have the explosive playmaking potential – why not just go with the guy that could have potentially have the explosive playmaking potential? Like it, it to me, it's a, a no brainer. Uh, let's not act like any of these safeties were in position uh, for even a half a second for the last two games of the season last year. Like they just never were. So why not go ahead and see if the guy who's bigger, stronger, faster uh, can make up if he makes a mistake quicker than the guys that aren't as big, strong, or fast. Yeah, like I think of Sonny Styles, and I, I wish I could remember the kid's name on Michigan right now, the big tall kid. He's like 6'4", kind of beat them up last year. <clears throat> Which of your current safeties can 
you know, be a step behind, lose contain, be misdirected, sort of gamble a little bit, but then recover and physically compete with, gosh, maybe Cornelius Green, uh, Cornelius Johnson, I'm sorry. Who can compete with that guy for Michigan? Who can go up and potentially get a jump ball against a 6'4", 6'5", wideout who's just as athletic, if not more so? It's Sonny Styles. And then it's Sonny Styles, and then it's only Sonny Styles. Like, we saw the antithesis of all of that last year. Can you name a single Ohio State defensive back who won a damn jump ball? I can't. And so you don't necessarily want that as your last line of defense, but Sonny Styles can do all the special things. And then he's so big that he can, you know, deliver a hit, lay the boom on somebody too. So I, I know I'm projecting he hasn't done all of these things consistently, but I think I know what Sonny Styles can be. And I also think that I know what Josh Proctor and or Ken Martinez are. And that's what, another reason why I think the Styles needs to be on the field very, very early. Uh, two things. One, it's really hard to get a jump ball when you're not within five yards of the ball. That's there you a go. proven fact. Physics say that you can't jump and get it. And uh, your slip up in your name, shout out to Cornelius Green, first African-American quarterback to start at Ohio State. I like that you're thinking of him, buddy. But I recovered, right? It's Cornelius Johnson was the kid. Yeah, and if you're going to mess up, at least mess up with an Ohio State legend. I like it. Buckeyes always on my mind. But that Styles, we've covered that. As for C.J. Hicks, I'm not going to pound the table for him, not yet. I do think that I, – I think and I hope that he is the first linebacker off the bench, though, and or even shows up in a three-linebacker set if Ohio State wants to mix it up a little bit. It's either him or Cody Simon. And no offense to the latter, but <laughs> I, I've seen that movie before, right? It's straight to streaming and not even on the most popular list. Hicks played very well during the spring, and like Styles, he's just a, a special athlete. We've heard a lot of positive news about him, but last year did not go according to plan, really, or you know, according to how he would have hoped. But I. I think we've heard some stuff, and I think that coaches are now ready to give him a chance. And I'll take it a step further. I predict that we will see him as the third linebacker within a month of opening kickoff, whether that's in some games, as part of rotation, whatever. I think that he's LB3 by you know mid-October at the latest. And I think being that, there's got to be a concerted effort. He doesn't have to play 40 snaps a game, but I think it's okay to get him a series, one of the top two or three series of the game, and see if he can go make a couple plays. Like, that's okay. I'm not saying he's got to play the whole first half, but get him, a, get, get him a little bit. And if the game gets out of hand, my man should be playing every snap. It's what we saw with Styles last year in the Georgia game, right? He was essentially the third linebacker at the beginning of that game. You can do the same thing with C.J. Hicks. Now, you know, God forbid, fingers crossed, if Sonny Styles and C.J. Hicks get on the field consistently at the same time, I'm not going to be able to contain myself. Like, 
that would be one of the most athletic duos, again, theoretically, that I can remember in a long, long time, right? So the, the pieces are there. We think that the intangibles are there. They seem like good kids, leaders, kids who want to get better, be better. Um, we need to see proof of concept from them. As a quick aside or, you know, follow-up to burning question number two, though, and I think I know your answer, do you think that either one of these guys just sort of flounders or fails to pan out? No. No, you can't convince me of that either way. The only thing I think that could potentially happen is I could see a scenario where they've got a position change styles. If you, if you told me that uh, he eventually has to be a linebacker, I wouldn't be totally shocked, but he's such an athlete, man. I just, I still think he's going to be able to play safety. That's like what I just brought up. If, if Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks are the starting linebackers, the two starting linebackers next year, like I said, I'll lose my mind, but that's, that's fair. Like I'm surprised Sonny Styles has it. I'm sort of surprised that he has not changed positions already. Like he's a big, big dude. But, um, yeah, but he's still only he's still only like 220, right? He's not like like you think about think about Eichenberg and you think about Steel Chambers. Like Steel Chambers is small. If he's still dude, 235, yeah. yeah, he's short. Like he's 235 at what 510. Like when you're 64, like you've got to carry 240, 250 to to thump, especially in the Big Ten. Like not everybody has gone to just because they don't you don't have three or four linebackers on the field. The two that are on the field still got to be able to thump on occasion, right? Like how many big plays did Eichenberg make in the hole last year? Because it's still, there's still half the big 10 playing big 10 football. So uh, if, and when like they get on the field together as starters and then like, if Jihad Carter no, no, you is, uh, me is a up. starter, you got me with half the Big Ten still plays Big Ten football. Like you said that, and I was like, yeah, you've still got Iowa and teams like that that are stuck in the 20th century. So I interrupted, but that was a good point. If if these guys get on the field together and Jihad Carter's ball in and Davis and Igbenosin's playing well, like are we going to have to like – we're going to need to like live stream – our, our reactions during the game. Like if all these guys are on the field together, like we're going to have to get our reactions and put them on a pod because people are going to have to know uh, they're going to see a, a, an excited side of a couple of old men that they've never seen. before. That's part of a larger point. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but shouldn't we be that excited about an Ohio state defense? I mean, think back five, 10 years ago, <clears throat> one through 11, all studs. And you're like, man, I can't wait to watch this offense fall out. I want that to happen again. And I think that part of the recipe for that is getting guys like Sonny Styles, CJ Hicks, others in the lineup. But those are the two that we really wanted to focus on. Which Chuck, I mean, that leaves us that leads us to our third burning question. I separated the the first and the third intentionally because this is sort of related to our first Larry Johnson question. Burning question number three here. Will JT Tuimolo out and or Jack Sawyer become a star in 2023? Chuck, I'll let you lead off. I think JT does. Uh, and I think I've, I've talked about my opinion on this in a previous pod uh, lightly. I think he does. I think he takes that step to be that first round defensive end. I think 
because of that, Jack Sawyer is just a step behind him. I do think he improves. And I think there should be a CIA or FBI or whoever needs to investigate when he moves back to defensive end and excels and plays really well, there should be some kind of investigation into why they decided that he should play the Jack instead of just putting his hand in the dirt and going after the quarterback. I was going to bring that up, but I won't because you beat me to it. Excuse me. I think it comes down to archaic seniority. I mean, like that's the only thing that makes sense here, but um, to answer the question, first and foremost, my answer is yes. I actually think that both guys could mess around and just be awesome this year. (laughs) Um, And I'll add this little nugget as well. I would not be shocked. I'm maybe a little bit different than you are. I would not be shocked if Sawyer outproduces Tuimolowau. Here's why. Let's pretend that the Penn State game never happened last year. Say it just didn't take place and Ohio State had a bye week that week. In the Buckeyes' other 12 games, Tui Molowau totaled 22 tackles and one and a half sacks. So in seven games prior, and in seven games prior to Penn State, he had nine tackles and half a sack. In the first seven games of the year, nine tackles and half a sack, really accumulated most of his, you know, sexy stats during that Penn State game, and then it was fine uh, afterwards. Look, he was not Lawrence Taylor out there, but to be fair, he was also probably the central focus of the opposing offense. So, and he had a million almost, right? But he didn't light the world on fire, so... I wouldn't be shocked if Jack Sawyer outproduces him by just a little bit, but I, I think they'll both be good to great. I okay, yeah, I, I could see it. I think the thing that Jack Sawyer could probably do is have higher sack numbers, and the sacks he does. Are sexy. I, I understand, but I, I think this year you could make an argument that. JT was by far the best defensive end against the run. I don't know that Jack's I, – I don't remember a, a big play in the backfield against a, a running back that, that Sawyer made. Now, it was because he was playing the damn Jack position maybe. Maybe. That might be the issue. But I think you could have a scenario where Sawyer has more sacks and – JT Dill is looked at as the better player and the better prospect because of his all-round game. So you can half convince me of your take. So it's only half wrong. Yeah, I mean, Tui Moloa was very good against the Rod last year. And even if he did not accumulate a ton of stats, like he was always there. He was around. He was turning people the opposite direction, things like that. He was physically imposing his will especially in the latter half of the season, it's just that the stats didn't always reflect that. But, yeah, as for Sawyer, you know, through two seasons, he does have more sacks than Tui Molowau despite playing fewer snaps. Um, And he accumulated four and a half last year from the Jack position, which you and I have talked about, was the wrong position. So here's the other part part of that. The fact that he's played less snaps – the fact that he played less snaps as a freshman was an indictment, right? Because 
JTT signed like seven minutes before fall camp started and he still got on the field more. So I think that part of it, like that, that's part of it. There is still a pecking order that he is currently ahead of based on what the coaches are seeing. Now we may not agree, but currently the coaches see him as one a, and at best Jack Sawyer's two B or one B, but more likely he's like a two, two and a half. Yeah, the other thing with Sawyer is, I want to be careful how I say this. He looks like a defensive end. He never really looked like, I associate Jack with being a linebacker, more or less, uh, like a traditional linebacker, an outside linebacker. Jack Sawyer was a hellacious athlete, in the best sense of the word, in high school. Football, basketball, you name it. He got to Ohio State, and again, I want to say this as nicely as possible. He put on a couple pounds. You can see it in his face. He still got, you know, the twenty twos like Hulk Hogan. He's in great shape, but he is—he doesn't look like the same type of athlete that he was in high school. And that's sort of by Ohio State's design, and probably by his own too. You know, he put on some weight to play defensive line, and they're like, "Awesome, you're going to play linebacker." But you look at him, he looks like a defensive end. So I think that will also work to his favor. Like we talked about seemingly ad nauseum here, right? Like he should be on the defensive line because he looks like a defensive lineman, is a defensive lineman, plays like a defensive lineman. Same thing goes for Tua Milowell. Regardless, if one or both of these guys really hits, uh, this is probably part of a bigger conversation. But, man, like they could be special We've seen Tyleek Williams in doses. We've seen Mike Hall Jr. in doses. I think the the best thing for Ohio State's defense this year is that they don't have some of the air quotes old heads that seem to be like owed something. No offense whatsoever to Teron Vincent, Javante John Baptiste, guys like that, but. Uh, just call it like it. We see it, right? They, by the time they eventually left Ohio State, they were not on the same level talent-wise as some of the other guys. And maybe they were more readily available. That counts for something. Maybe they were a little bit smarter when it came to the playbook. That counts for something. But the 2023 talent is, like, exponentially high. The ceiling is exponentially higher. And if those guys all play off of each other, then it's going to help all four or five or six of them. Yeah, the, the thing with that is, and this is goes back to our, our first burning question, like all those guys were high-level recruits and didn't pan out. Like we, we need these high-level recruits that are currently on campus to pan out in order for this defense to see the potential or to, to meet the potential that it has. So if number three, I, if number three is a no, then number one is definitely a yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't want to rehash too much of it, but it, it's it kind of like started with the 18, 19, 20 classes. And it's like, if you miss on a couple in a row, it has a trickle down effect. Zach Harrison was productive throughout his four years but his ceiling was limited. Teron Vincent, look, I know what it, his high school recruiting page says, 
but he was like a six foot even, two hundred eighty pound defensive tackle. Like you can coach a guy all up all you want and all you can, but he's going to be pretty damn limited if that's your your interior guy and he's scraping six feet, not even approaching three hundred pounds. Javante Jean Baptiste missed on him, so like. Yeah, again, it's that trickle-down effect, and that sort of counts against Larry Johnson, but it hasn't helped the the guys since, and now you've sort of, uh, again, say this nicely, flushed certain things out of the system and sort of started anew. So I, I think and I hope that's what we'll see from Ohio State, specifically their defensive line this year, but... We were going to set aside some time for rapid fire, but I think we did pretty well with these three. I think that they were good, interesting, hot, burning questions, if you will. So that's going to be it for that that, that portion of the pod. Fortunately, I know Ohio or Chuck has some burning questions from our viewers or our listeners. Sorry, we wanted to set some time aside for that at the end. I'm going to turn it back to him and see if he can sort of. Uh, you know, beat me up, quiz me, whatever, with our listener questions this week. All right, only two this week that I were appropriate and uh, would not get us banned by the uh, powers to be at Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but I think they're good ones. First one, and this kind of continues. This is this. I feel like our listeners are just kind of like enjoying our college experience. They want to know our favorite spots, and it could be food, it could be hangouts, whatever it was, that were not bar alcohol related. Now, I'll take out of this because we've already talked ad nauseum about catfish biffs. So let's take that one off the table. Is there a, what was your like, what was a food spot that you remember that we frequented it? I've got one that's like a no-brainer for me. Well, I would start by answer, you know, I'd start answering this question by pointing out that we usually check ahead of time to see if these places did also offer adult beverages. So there was sort of that uh, combination <laughs> there. <clears throat> but no, uh, gosh, there are a bunch that come to mind. I, I honestly don't know if they're all still open. But the first one, just because it was so unique, was PJ's. You'd get the sandwiches with like the cut steak and the fries and the mozzarella stick and the sauce and the like. Look up the menu if it's still around, but PJ's is the first one that comes to mind. Um, and then I was always loyal to Catfish, but I'll, I'll give credit and kudos to a couple other pizza spots. I always thought Adriatico's was good for something different and also hound dogs so gun to my head those are the first three places that come to mind adriatico's was my spot do you remember us buying the party tray and we would literally eat that the entire weekend like there would be four of us and we would eat these 35 pieces of pizza for the whole weekend it was like 30 bucks or whatever the number was god knows what it is god it's probably 75 dollars now and we would eat yeah. just adriatico's pizza all weekend if I tried that now, like, I'd be like a bear that got shot in the ass till Wednesday. Like, I just, I wouldn't be able to move the same. My blood would be thicker. My heartbeat would slow down. Like, I can't get away with that now. 
But yeah, I remember like in Adriatico's weekend, you would just put it on the table, it took up the whole table, and you would just sort of dabble, dabble at it, pick at corners, and by Sunday night, when the Sunday night football game or something came on, it was <laughs> time to get the second meal of the weekend. What was the wing place that we ordered from and would order like 40 of them and they had like a combo? Wings over Columbus. No, that was that was later. That was when I got back from the military. It was on campus. It delivered to my slash your apartment on 14th. All I could like there was like Ohio State pizza and wings or but like no, I can't well, no. Uh, Ohio State Pizza and Wings, I remember it was awful before 2 a.m., but because they delivered late, we would frequently eat it that late night. <laughs> and then the next morning, I would and, take a bite, and it would be awful. I was like, God, how how did we eat this? And night? neither one of us was a social smoker at best. I'm not condoning this. Like, very rarely. But if you asked, Ohio State Pizza and Wings would also pick you up you know, a pack of Marvel Reds, Virginia Slims, whatever. I forgot about that. Ooh, whatever your poison dart of choice out. was, yeah, your ass. But whatever your <laughs> dart of choice was, they also supplied that if you asked. But I feel like I sidetracked this. Did you have another non-Adriatico's place? No, I think the big one, obviously, and it's still there, like – Stopping by Buckeye Donuts on the way oh, to yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a late morning yeah. class or coming home from an early morning. Like, I feel like that, like if I had like a 730 class and I was walking back through at like 10 o'clock, like Buckeye Donuts just, just crushed and it hit any spot I could ever want it to hit just uh, as, I, as I slogged my way back to my apartment after getting up way too early. It still does and always will at any time. Like, if you can get Buckeye Donuts, you do it. And hopefully that's one that's around for ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Um, but what's number two, Chuck, from our listeners? Question number two. One more listener, JC, wants to know, any OSU future bets to place on this year's football team? So I looked up on FanDuel. The team to win the Big Tens plus 200. National champions plus 650, and then a couple of Heisman odds. Kyle McCord is plus 2,000, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is plus 3,000. Any of those tickle your fancy? Uh, I mean, I would put, I would gladly put some money on Ohio State to win the Big Ten. I would put some money on Ohio State to win a national title just because they're my team, they're my school. <clears throat> As far as the individual stuff, uh, as much as I love the guy, I, I wouldn't touch any Kyle McCord futures with a 10-foot pole. We haven't seen it. We, we don't know what he's capable of, even if I do think that he can, you know, again, ultimately lead Ohio State to uh, a conference title. Marvin Harrison Jr., like, he is sort of at the mercy of his quarterback, whoever that's going to be. So, again, I'm out on him. But, you know, this sort of ties into our, our news at the beginning of the pod. If there were, like, all Big Ten props or bets for a number of guys, I liked all six that we mentioned. And 
you know, just some sort of random stuff. Like Tommy Eichenberg, I could see winning the Buckus Award or something like that as the nation's best linebacker. I could definitely see Marvin Harrison Jr. winning the Belitnikoff Award. Uh, Doak Walker, I don't know. I'm out on. You want to go dark horse? I could see. I'll be honest. I could really see Denzel Burke and or Davis Enigmanosin at least being considered for the Thorpe Award. I know that sounds ludicrous based on what we saw last year and what little we know about Davis and Igmanosin, but I think that one bounces back and the other one is a perfect complement. So, you know, that's that's a word salad there, but if I'm going to give throw out sort of a, a long shot, I think it's that maybe that Thorpe Award winner. I could see Denzel Berg being considered and possibly even Davis and Igmanosin. All right, first of all, you're a degenerate if you're betting on the Thorpe Award. Let me tell you. <laughs> you you need to you need to take you need to listen to these ads on these podcasts. That is the pod calling the kettle black, my friend. <laughs> and you need to you need to call the number that they're they're spitting out during these ads. Speaking of pot calling the kettle black, I'd be remiss if I didn't say when I saw plus three thousand, uh, I'd already sprinkled a little bit on Marvin Harrison Jr. And hear me out. Here's here's how Marvin Harrison Jr. wins the Heisman. Kyle McCord is only like 70% of CJ Stroud, but the defense is really good. They run the table. And because McCord is only 70% of Stroud, that 30% is taken away from the two, three, and tight end. And because of the relationship with Harrison, Harrison goes 110% of what he did last year on an undefeated team, he's doubles Abuka up. Uh, they win the Big Ten, and he goes for 130 catches, 1,900 yards, and 18 touchdowns on a undefeated Big Ten champion, number one seed in the college football playoffs is how he does that. And at plus 3,000, that that's worth it. The the plus two hundred to win the Big Ten, like I I I believe they win the Big Ten, but you're FanDuel, you're not holding my money for the next six months for plus two hundred odds. I just look, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is arguably the best, most talented player in all of college football, Caleb Williams included, this guy, that guy included. But like wide receivers just don't get the Heisman love. And I had to pull up Devontae Smith just won it three years ago. Yeah, but he Two was... Two years ago. He was such an anomaly. And, yeah, I mean, I guess the stats are possible, but I think that's more of a long shot just because, you know, look at look at the numbers he put up last year. His supporting cast is going to be roughly the same. And his quarterback, whoever wins the job, is not going to be C.J. Stroud. That's where I'm like, I just don't – I don't know that Marvin Harrison Jr. – I know that he can. I don't know that he will approach 100 receptions, 16, 17, 1,800 yards, 20 touchdowns, because he didn't do it last year. But um, if he does, then I think that 
you know, media pundits and voters and things like that. I think they recognize it would give him the proper love, but his stats would have to be just, you know, off the charts. Well, I was going to take pay for your round of golf after I won that bet, but now you can go to hell. I'm going by myself. I'll be able to afford an entire foursome by myself and, and not have to worry about anybody chasing me down. You know what? No one likes to uh, pay to get beat, so I'll take it easy on you. That being said, boom, 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 as I go out on a high note, uh, guys, that is going to be the end of this podcast, the end of this episode. We greatly appreciate you guys listening. Remember what Chuck said last week. We've got the uh, podcast email now. Find us on social, specifically Twitter, Holy Land Pod. We look forward to those questions. We look forward to the interaction, whatever it is, with you guys each and every week. So for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. This has been Hangout in the Holy Land. And as always, go Bucks.